So happy Thanksgiving weekend. I didn't say that earlier, so uh, I hope you guys had a great turkey day. You guys uh, getting out of your turkey coma yet? Yeah. <laughs> I know for me, if I have a little bit too much of that dark meat, it's like uh, getting shot in the rear end with a tranquilizer dart. So <laughs> I hope uh, things are going well for you. I hope uh, it was a good holiday. I hope you got to spend it with people that you love. Um, there's a lot going on this time of year, there, isn't there? Um, there's a lot going on in your lives, in your kids' lives. You've got kids' programs. You have holiday parties at work. Uh, maybe you have family in town. Uh, there's a lot going on in our culture, too. Every business out there is counting on your holiday dollars, so get out your wallet. <laughs> it's, isn't it interesting that right after the day that we set aside to give thanks comes the day, the biggest shopping holiday of the year. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we're thankful for what we have, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're uh, looking for the next thing, too. Um, there's a lot going on in my mailbox. Uh, I'm getting catalogs from places I've never even heard of. Uh, I feel like I live in Whoville, and everyone's trying to sell me a, a Hoopa Hapa or a Trump de Tuca, or, and I don't even know I needed one. Uh, all this time I've been getting along fine without a, uh, without a blunt bluka, and now I can't live without one. <laughs> Everything is just teeming with energy this time of year, and excitement, even anxiety. But the message from Jesus is different. Jesus says, wait. Jesus says, watch. Advent has a way of shocking us. Just when we really get into the season... The season when everything is supposed to be about bows and holly and bells and peppermint. The season that is built to be the most wonderful time of the year. Just when we really get into the season, Advent hits us. Jesus hits us with words like, at that time, after that anguish. After the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the powers of heaven will be shaken. If we really reflect on why we do the things we are doing, can we be honest with ourselves and say that much of the commotion of this time of year is really about just being distracted from how long and how cold and how dark the winter can be? Isn't it all designed in part as a diversion from the realities that we find too hard to deal with? Advent is all about waiting and watching. The word Advent comes from the Latin word for coming. And it's an invitation to learn, to wait, and to watch. For Jesus Christ is coming to us. Simple as that. As you pray, Lord, come Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. As you pray, thy kingdom come. That is the spirit of Advent. In a very time of year when we're so focused on doing, when we're so focused on being busy, Advent challenges to stop. Stop doing and focus on being. Wait and watch. Listen to the words of Jesus. You too must keep watch, for you do not know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. It all goes back to the biblical story the story of God's chosen people. God's people, sat, God's people spent a great deal of their history in exile, 
They spent, they spent it in slavery. They spent it in waiting. They waited for the Messiah to come for generations. They waited for the day that when they would be delivered. And they waited. And we observe at Advent, we remember their waiting. We too are in slavery. We too are in exile. And we have been waiting for generations. It's harder for us to see it, maybe. Maybe that's because it's easier for us to hide from our waiting. We aren't too good at waiting, are we? We have, made, we have made an art out of keeping ourselves occupied, even to the point where we call our jobs occupations. Don't you think that's kind of ironic? We call our jobs occupations. And we can't sit still unless we have something, anything, to keep us occupied. And then when we're looking back on our lives, that occupation, that busyness is what we really come to regret. John talked a little bit about that last week. Do you see the difference? It's the difference between waiting and boredom and waiting with bated breath. I'm not talking about impatience. I'm talking about waiting that makes you feel like you are going to burst. Real, honest longing. Are you just keeping yourself occupied? Or is your waiting about watching? Are you just keeping yourself busy? Are you watching in overwhelming anticipation because you just know the master of the household could return at any minute? I want to tell you a story about my life. I want to tell you a story about how I learned what this waiting is like. It wasn't something I planned to do. I wasn't, I'm going to go learn about waiting. Um, almost two years ago, I went to Haiti. Um, it was part of my seminary education. Haiti's a third world country. 80% of the people live on less than $2 a day. I'd never been around poverty like that before. I didn't know what to do, how to prepare myself. And let me tell you that nothing could have prepared me for what happened. 30 hours after our plane landed was the earthquake, a 7.0 earthquake. As our plane began its descent, as the nose of the plane plunged into the pillowy clouds, my window became awash with white and disorientation, like the foggy transition between sleep and, and wakeness. Uncertainty enveloped in the surreal haze of clouds, the panic of blindness when you have your eyes wide open, and the sudden bursts of luminous blue, radiating from both the sky above and the Caribbean below. Blue that is utterly unimaginable, unexplainable. My neck grew sore as I pressed my face against the window. I had hoped to see Haiti from the air. Long before I had ever thought it possible to go there, I had heard that the injustice that is Haiti can be seen from the sky. You see, there, uh, Haiti is, is greatly deforested, so the, the island that it's on is divided by Haiti and Dominican Republic, and the people there are so poor that they just cut down the trees uh, to make charcoal to, to burn for their energy, to keep their houses warm, to cook their food. So the Dominican Republic is something like 60 or 80 percent ve- vegetation and Haiti is something like 10 or 20%. So you can see the border, the imaginary line that divides Haiti from the Dominican Republic from the sky. I never got to see the border from the air. As, as we approached the island, the bursts of blue became less frequent, and the bareness of the ground was veiled by the feathery, feathery modesty of the clouds. When we were finally too low, and the clouds could no longer cover our eyes, 
we saw Haiti for the first time. We were flying along the coast over the sprawling slums of Port-au-Prince. Rows of majestic breakers. You've seen pictures of the Caribbean Ocean. The amazing blue color of the water and the waves breaking on the, on the coast. The coast was amazing on the water side, but on the, on the land side, it was appalling. The shore was appalling, gray like the skin on a corpse, clumsily draped with corrugated roofing, rusted through in the color of a scab. The shanties were almost on top of each other, built to the edge of the water. Haiti is ravaged by hurricanes on a regular basis, and it sickened me to think of what could happen to these people's homes, built mere feet from the tide. It was not right. It was not safe. It just did not make any sense. This was my first experience of Haiti. When it happened, we were in a town called Jacmel. We weren't ready. We weren't watching. We weren't waiting. We were strolling down a cobblestone street. We were walking toward the beach. Strolling down the street, and the stones began to speak. The very voice of the earth, booming and rising to a roar. The stones all around us crying out. As soon as the shaking stopped, our cobblestone street surged with Haitian people running and screaming, covered in dust and blood. In an instant, the sky went from bright and blue to gray and opaque. In some places on the street, you couldn't see more than a few feet in front of your face. We ran in different directions, leaving each other, leaving the only souls that we knew as they disappeared engulfed in the dust cloud. It entered my mind that earthquakes caused tsunamis and that we were only blocks from the beach. My heart leapt into my throat and I sprinted to the intersection ahead so I could see the beach and I looked down at the ocean. I was relieved to see that the water looked calm and distant. But I turned and I turned back and in the blink of, eye, the blink of an eye, Jacmel Bay changed from placid and blue to a dark torrent, violent as if boiling past the rim of the beach. The water transgressed the boundary that was set for it, cascading off the streets into waves that looked like bulging muscles as it galloped beyond the Haitians that were running for their lives. The water came as close to me as a block away. That was the scariest thing that I've ever seen. We ran up the hill as, far, as fast as we could, and we found each other. We huddled together in the biggest intersection we could find for fear of the buildings that were still falling. And so did many of the Haitians. We stood together. We sobbed. We sobbed as people died in the rubble around us. We stood there completely helpless as mothers carried their, their injured children, children too big to be carried, People had their hands up. They were crying out to God in repentance of things they had done. One shirtless man had blood running from a wound down his shoulder down into his armpit. He was preaching. He was preaching to every person that walked by, begging every person that walked past him to repent. A group of young men came to our intersection. They were carrying a door between them like pallbearers. They set the door down three feet from where I was standing. 
Uh, on it lay a, a, a young woman in her 20s. She was dying. And it only took a few minutes. One, one Haitian who could speak English came to me, and through his tears he said, I can't find my family. I can't find my kids. There was nothing I could do. I just held them in my arms. And we cried together. And we prayed together. Our hotel had partially, partially collapsed. And the day, as the day lingered, and the shadows got longer and longer, we headed to Trinity House, which is an orphanage that we had been visited earlier that day, knowing that we could sleep in the schoolyard there with the children. We walked single file through the streets over piles of rubble, trying as much as possible to stay away from the buildings that looked ready to fall. Everyone in town was standing in the streets, too afraid to go into their homes, homes that might collapse at any minute. They, they gathered around fires, and they sang. They sang as one. They sang from the bottom of their hearts. The whole town was singing. Even though I could not understand them, I knew exactly what they meant. They sang as a people who had almost nothing and lost everything they had. I could not understand anything they were saying except one word. They sang hallelujah. They sang praises to God as they stood in the streets in front of the piles of rubble that used to be their homes. They sang praises to God as the earth still trembled beneath their feet. They sang praises to God as they faced the greatest tragedy in their very tragic history. As we got closer to Trinity House and the cool darkness of night fell all around us, we heard from a distance the orphans as they sang. They were singing the song that I grew up with. They were singing, How Great Thou Art. In the face of great tragedy, their response, the response of these orphans, was faith. We joined them in singing along in English, tears rolling down my face as I looked up at the stars and sang, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder, the power of your works displayed. And sings my soul, O Lord my God to thee, how great thou art. And then when I, I think that God his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on that cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. We eventually spent the night on an airstrip near the UN facility. We, res we spent the night with thousands of Haitians. We were laying side by side. They literally sang all night long. They literally sang until the sun came up. My best friend, who's with me, his name is Rusty, he described it best. He said, being with the Haitians in the midst of that, watching the faith on their faces as they sang in the midst of adversity, was like living a psalm. It was. It was like living a psalm. I'm so thankful for Rusty. Our group would not have made it without him without his good attitude and his sense of humor. 
I hope no one takes offense at this or thinks it was disrespectful in any way. It wasn't what it was about, but the only way we got through what we were in the middle of was through our sense of humor. It was the only way that we could cope. When we got to the airstrip, we found a spot where we could lie down on the helipad, and we got all settled in. We made pillows out of our clothes and um, got as comfortable as we could be. And, and the UN came uh, in a truck, and they said, we ha- you have to move off the helipad uh, because they're going to send a helicopter in case there's an emergency. And, of course, we did what they said, but Rusty goes, Emergency? What qualifies as an emergency? <laughs> uh, I'm so thankful for Rusty. <laughs> We're just in a catastrophic earthquake. Half the town is gone. And, the, you know, what do you have to do to get an emergency? What do you, you think there would at least be two or three helicopters here by now. You know, it's like, okay. So we, we laid in the weeds. <laughs> but uh, it was... It was the sense of humor of Rusty that got us through. That was the only way that we could keep saying. It was the only way that we could keep from cracking. <laughs> if you're ever planning on being in a natural disaster, uh, you should take Rusty with you. Um, I, just come see me after the service. I'll give you his contact info. I'm, I'm sure he'd be up for it. So, In <laughs> um, our gospel today, Jesus comes to us very challenging words, almost as if he's trying to shock us. In the beginning of the chapter, his disciples are admiring the temple. It was one of the most magnificent buildings of their age, and it was certainly the pride of any Jew. But Jesus tells them that as soon it will be torn down, and not one stone will be left standing on, one, on another. There will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, and brother against brother, delivering him unto death. Abomination is coming and desolation with it. So you better run to the mountains and don't look back. Sun and moon will give out and heaven will shake. Jesus' words are harsh. I can't read biblical passages like this the way that I used to. When we read these passages, passages about the sun darkening and the stars falling from the heavens, passages about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, Can we be honest with ourselves? Can we be honest with each other and admit that we find these passages just mysterious and really hard to understand, even a little scary? Can we start by fessing up to the fact that we don't have it all figured out? Can we be honest, maybe say that this sermon is not one that we wanted or expected to hear the weekend after Thanksgiving? I imagine there might be some of you who are listening to this singing, Man, this is the last thing that I needed today. But I, I hope not. I hope that this is the, the last thing you thought you'd get, but the first thing that you needed. I know that my story has been hard to hear. But it isn't anything compared to the story that we read from this morning. Remember, Jesus spoke these words a couple of days before he was betrayed. This was a couple of days before he was crucified. I can't read biblical passages like this the way that I used to. But after Haiti, maybe it would be more accurate to say, I never could read these passages like I can now. Earlier in the same chapter of Mark, Jesus talks about the coming of the abomination that brings desolation. I know what it's like for desolation to come when you're not ready. I was strolling down the street, the Caribbean sun shining on my face. 
I was walking toward the beach. I saw the sun fail to give its light for the, for the rubble and the dust in the air. There is nothing more unsettling than the feeling that the very ground beneath you can't be trusted. There's nothing like being afraid to go into a building because the ones that, even the ones that look solid probably have structural damage. I remember the first night after the earthquake that I slept indoors. I could hardly sleep. I, the first time there was an aftershock that night, I probably had my shoes on in five seconds. <laughs> I was ready to, you know, I just did not want to be inside. It, it was, how surreal is that, to be afraid to be indoors? There's nothing like knowing another aftershock is coming, but you don't know when. We try so hard to put death out of our minds, to put the truth of how fragile we really are out of our minds. But I can't when I've lived through what I've seen. Jesus' call is to take heed, to be alert, to stay awake. The message he brings comes straight out of the prophets. In this short passage, Jesus quotes Ezekiel, Isaiah, Joel, and Daniel. Jesus points to the temple, the very center of all Jewish life at that time, and says, watch. Watch as everything you put your hope in crumbles, and then put your hope in me. Jesus says, open your eyes. Everything you put your faith in is crumbling. Jesus says, open your eyes and put your faith in me. In this country, most of us live with the illusion of safety. Many of us don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from or where we're going to sleep. I live with the luxurious illusion that most of the world cannot afford. I live with the luxurious illusion that some of these people in this room can't afford. The illusion that I'm in control, that I am safe. But Jesus reminds us that not one of us knows the day or the hour. I've built walls around myself to see, keep myself secure. Walls made of wealth. Walls made of power and influence. Walls made of my faith in my own ability. But the words of Jesus come to us as a warning. The day is coming when not one stone will be left on another. The words of Jesus come to us out of love. Watch as everything you put your hope in crumbles. And then put your hope in me. His words are hard. They seem harsh. But they are... They are that way because we have a God who is down in the mud with us. And this is what Advent is about. Advent is about having a God who's with us in our suffering. In Jesus Christ, we have a God who carries our burdens. This isn't a feel-good religion. This isn't about putting your Sunday smile on because Christians are supposed to be happy. It's about knowing that God is present here amongst us. God is present here in this room. Where is God? Where is God when we suffer? Where is God when hundreds of thousands of people die in a catastrophic earthquake? Advent is about knowing. Knowing that God is present. That God is there in the rubble with them. Advent is about learning to stand in the face of everything the world can throw at us. And in all, we learn to pray, Thy kingdom come, Lord God. Thy kingdom come. I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, my valley was a narrow Haitian street. I stood in the shadow of buildings as they fell around me, and I watched as people around me died. And through it all, I learned to pray in a new way. Thy kingdom come. Like never before I pray it, thy kingdom come. But even more amazing than that, I saw it coming.
in the midst of the darkness, in the shadow of death even, I saw the light break through. I heard the kingdom coming in the song of the people. I saw the kingdom coming for a man named Pierre. This is Pierre. I told you about Pierre already. This is the man that I met that spoke English. He's a Haitian man. This is the man that couldn't find his kids. This is the stranger that I cried with. I saw him again the next day. That's when I took these pictures. He found his kids. This is Pedro and Kala. Those are his kids. I saw the kingdom come in Pierre. He had nothing but a shirt on his back. He had nothing to feed those kids. I gave him $15. 30 minutes later, I saw him in the crowd. He fed his kids, and then he passed out bread and bananas to the people around him. He had nothing. He took what little I gave him. He fed his children, and then he gave the rest away. That's the kingdom coming. As we pray, that kingdom come. That prayer was answered in the generosity of Pierre. As we pray, that kingdom come, we know that God is using the angel tree program as you adopt a family this season. In a small way, God answers that prayer for those people. As we pray, thy kingdom come, we know God is using our contributions from the Building Hope for the World campaign. And God is answering that prayer through that. We know that through your contributions, the kingdom is coming. Because of Christ, we get to participate. We get to play a part in the coming of the kingdom of God. Our Advent waiting is not the kind of waiting you sit on your hands to do. Be alert. The devil and all the powers of evil in this world have held captive for too long the word of God, the world of God. God is coming to take back what is his. Jesus implores us to keep ready, to be alert, to wait and to watch for the coming of the kingdom. Death comes to us all. And I implore you to take seriously the words of God. Everything comes to an end. Tragedy and grief come to us all. But the gospel that is Jesus Christ is that even death comes to an end. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. I have heard the very death rattle of the earth as it slowly fades. And in its place, I hear the burning cry of the new heaven and the new earth, and there will no longer be any sea. And the holy city and the new Jerusalem will come out of heaven from God, and it will be made ready as a bride for her husband. And Jesus will proclaim from the throne, Behold, God's home is now among his people. God lives with you, and you are his people. God himself is with you. The Alpha and the Omega will wipe every tear from your eyes, and death, suffering, mourning, and pain will be no more. They will cease, for the first things have passed away. Jesus Christ is coming to make all things new, and I am ready. Thy kingdom come, Lord God. Thy kingdom come. Let's pray.